uh, everyone back to the sixth episode of the United Bow Hunters of Missouri podcast. Uh, on the line, we have our new co-host, the one and only Ryan Plummer. Yay. Yeah. Glad, glad to be here. Glad to be here. <laughs> My first uh, foray in any kind of podcasting. So, yeah, you know, it'll be a good time. Yeah. Well, you know, Darren always told me I have a face made for radio. That's right. And, yeah. Me too. <laughs> me too. Which uh, brings me to our, our guest today, the one and the only, the man, the myth, the legend, the guy with the glorious bow hunting mane, uh, Mr. Darren Haverstick. So I'm happy to be here. Awesome. <laughs> Come on down. You're the next. <laughs> um, so, all right. Well, uh, we'll just get started real quick. Uh, we always do background. And I know that you did a pod. You've done a few podcasts, Darren. And yeah. uh, you, I think you've heard all of them, but it's been a while. So, um, but we always ask everyone, what was like, what got you into bow hunting? What was your first bow? Um, kind of like to hear those stories. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, so, uh, I work at the Paul Mueller Company here in Springfield. Been there 30, I think this is my 32nd year. Anyway, at one time I had a, a cube mate. His name's Greg Poston. In fact, he and I are going to Mexico to hunt Gould's turkeys here in a couple months. And he was big, he was big into the UBM, big bow hunter. And uh, you know, he's talking about it all the time. And I was uh getting disenchanted with rifle hunting in Missouri. Um, it went to, it went from hunting to just killing, you know, it got uh, yeah. lots of, lots of deer. Um, there just wasn't, wasn't any challenge to it anymore. So I'd always, I'd kind of thought about bow hunting and my dad, he'd always kind of dabbled in it when I was a kid, you know, he, <clears throat> he had a couple of, uh, he had a bear, uh, Kodiak and he had an old Shakespeare bow. Anyway, you know, he he killed a few deer, but he he wasn't wasn't serious about it. But anyway, so uh I decided, you know, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I wanna get into bow hunting. And my my daughter's old enough now that I don't have to be around the house constantly because I knew it was gonna take up a lot of time. So I remember telling my asking my wife or telling her, you know, hey, I, I think I really want to do this. And uh She's like, no, okay, yeah, sure. What you know, what do you got to do? Was like, little did she know she was going to become a archery widow, you know. But uh, <laughs> um, so my first bow, um, you know, even though my buddy Greg Posen, he was, he had a uh, take down Brackenberry he taught, that he hunt with, and I was like, well, you know, like a lot of guys, I don't know if I want to go traditional, just just you know, I better I better start with baby steps. I get my training wheels, you know, so. I went to Bass Pro for my for Christmas. I was gonna get a bow. And I of course I knew nothing about about any of it. I mean, I was a blank slate. And I bought a compound bow that I could afford and they fitted me, got me some, you know, I had some aluminum Easton arrows and all that good stuff. And I remember scampering home and couldn't wait to go out and shoot at something. So I got I got a couple hay bales. And uh, put them up, and I made a target, you know, put it on there, and I was out in my front yard. And it had this, I remember it had uh, had three pins on on the thing. Uh-huh. I didn't have a clue what pin, you know, I, I, I just, I didn't know anything. I didn't know what pin was what. But I remember I was about 10 yards from that target, 
and I broke the boat out, broke them over, and I sighted in, picked a pin, you know, and I shot. And I'm only like 10 yards. And I don't know where my arrow went. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's gone. And I'm like, how the hell can you miss a target? It's only 10 <laughs> yards. I mean, and not just the target, but the hay bales and everything. The whole hay bale. Yeah, so I'm sitting there going, where, you know, where's my, where did my arrow go? Well, then I happened to, it was kind of funny because right behind, well, behind my target is my chicken coop. Uh -huh. My chicken coop. And all of a sudden I noticed there's a little black spot on the wall. Well, I picked the, the, uh, uh, like the 40 yard pin shooting at 10 yards, so I shot way over and I hit my chicken coop with my first arrow and it went, come, you know, it's, it went through the wall on one side. It was just, it's just an old tin, you know, tin building. It went through the front wall and it was sticking in the back wall. So I was able to recover my arrow. Of course, my fletching or veins weren't uh, any good, but. Uh, and, and you missed all of your chickens, right? You didn't. Well, well unfortunately, they were, first they were out at that time. So, yeah, okay. I don't think I traumatized yeah. any of them, but so that was <laughs> that was uh, my first foray into archery. So, uh, I remember. So then I was, man, I mean, I poured myself into it. I was, you know, I was on online all the time. This was way back. When was this? Was this when Bill, or uh, not Bill Gates, Al Gore invented the internet? Or Yeah, I think it was just about two years after he invented the oh, internet. Okay. <laughs> I think it was, like, I want to say 98, 99, something like that. Okay. So there wasn't a whole lot out there, but I was reading everything I could, you know, and and I remember I would I would go to work and I'd try to share my enthusiasm with my new bu best buddy, Greg Poston. And, you know, of course, I'm talking about, I was, I was shooting fingers. I didn't ever shoot release, but I was shooting... Uh, we're talking about sites and this, and he's just like, stick, you know, I, I don't know what you're talking about because I don't do any of that stuff. I just pick up a bow and shoot, you know. So, uh, so anyway, um, I got my compound bow and I, and I worked and I'm trying to, you know, I, I mean, I'm trying to kill deer and uh, my dad, this is kind of a cool part of the whole thing. Okay. So uh, once I got into bow hunting, and I'm, you know, I'm, I call my dad. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, keep, I'm gonna be coming down a lot more to visit you because I'm gonna hunt, you know. And well, me getting into it, that got him back into it. So now, he, you know, he, so he's calling me, you know, every week and saying, hey, you know, this is the, this is the Haverstick Deer Report for this week. You know, we got this going on, this going on. And uh, then he, and he gave me all kinds of crap about, about my compound bow, and I'm like, okay. As soon as I kill a deer with it, I'll get rid of it and I'll get a I'll get a stick bow and be cool like the rest of you guys. So anyway, uh I hunted I think two seasons and I killed a little buck here right behind my house with that compound bow and it was it was a great deal, you know. I I, I made a good shot and I watched him run and fall over dead and and you know, no no traumatizing blood trail or anything like that. I just walked over and Field dressed him and had to drag him back up the hill. But uh, so then, so that was uh, like late October. And um, my buddy Greg says, well, hey. And I said, now, okay, you know, now I'm ready to, I'm ready to get, a, I'm ready to get a stick, but I'm ready to get a recurve or something. I'm ready to get one. What do I got to do? Who do I got to talk to? He goes, well, hey, uh, you need to come to the UBM Festival. 
and uh, um, they'll be, you know, there's all kinds of vendors there. There'll be people there with bows, and you can shoot bows, and you get to meet a lot of cool people, and blah, blah, blah. And said, okay, sure. So uh, <clears throat> we drove up that February. It was back when it was in Jeff City at the Truman Hotel, and um, it was pretty cool. Uh, it happened to be our 15th anniversary. Oh, wow. They pulled out all the stops. We had uh, um, T.J. Conrad's was the guest speaker. Oh, wow. He did, he did a, a seminar on the, what he called the ham slam of hunting pigs all over the world. Like, you know, uh, he's got, a, I don't know, you've probably read the articles he writes about his buddy in in France who has like, like a, uh, you know, an estate and a castle and all this. And he goes, yeah. well, they're hunting Russian boar on his place. And he was down in Africa hunting warthogs. And I don't know, it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, Nathan Anderson, uh, you guys yeah. know him from UBM. He was there. He gave a talk on uh, hunting blacktails on Kodiak. Yeah. Um, so that was that was cool. Um, there was a guy named, uh, if you're an old-time turkey hunter, Missouri turkey hunter, you might know this name, a guy named Leroy Brangart. And back yeah. in the 70s, before turkey hunting was a thing, this guy was Mr. Turkey, Okay. And if you look at any, you, you, you'll, you very seldom see his name. He's one of those people that, that back in the day, everybody knew who he was. And now nobody knows who he was. But in the, in the seventies, when turkey hunting first started in Missouri, Leroy was the guy. Okay. Um, I've read several articles uh, where Joel Vance, the old, uh, yeah, Joel Vance, you know, he's a famous Missouri author. And he used to write for years for the conservation department. He talks about Leroy. Anyway, Leroy was there to talk about oscillated turkey hunting. Didn't even know there was such a bird. <laughs> and, uh, uh, he's the guy that got me thinking, hmm, I need to go do that. But uh, anyway, um, so I'm there, and I'm soaking all this in. I'm hearing all these cool stories and meeting these people. And uh, I remember um, Jim Reynolds of Thunderstick Archery, back when Jim made bows, he, he was always at our UBM festival. Of course, Black Widow was there. And then there used to be two or three other, uh, they weren't boyers, but they had, they always came every year. They had, there was tons of used bows, you know, you could buy and shoot. So I'm, uh, I'm over there and I'm looking around and uh, I'll, I'll never forget. Again, I, again, I don't know anything about what these cost, what you do or anything, <laughs> you know. And uh, there's there's a guy that is in the UBM uh, named Jim Reynolds. I mean, uh, uh, Jim, I can't It's his last name. Starts with an L. Legend Longbows is what he made. Hmm. Anyway, I can't think of his name. This guy made me our first bow. Uh, he was there with bows. But I remember, I, I, okay, so I'm left-handed, so I'm already at a disadvantage trying to find bows to shoot. <laughs> So I'm looking around trying to find something to shoot and trying not to look like an idiot because I don't know what I'm doing. And I, re I remember walking over to Black Widow. They used to have a little place in the corner of this room. The room we had for uh, where all the vendors and stuff, it was it was microscopic. It was, I mean, it was tiny. Everybody was just packed in. And uh -huh. Black Widow had this 
they always had their stuff over here in the corner. And um, I go over there and I'm looking at their bows and I'd say, yeah, I'm left-handed. Oh, well, here, you might want to shoot this one here. And they gave me a glove and they had me some arrows, you know, when I went over and had this little place where you shot. And you know, I shot it a few times and took it back, you know, and hung it up. And, and you know, they're like, well, what'd you think? And, and like, you know, I guess it shot okay. And, yeah, and what, what, you know, I said, well, what's, what, you know, what's this bow cost? And they're like, oh, see, that one's like, well, that one's, uh, well, that one's only like 800 bucks. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's a little, don't, I don't, I didn't scratch that one, you know. And, uh, <laughs> So anyway, uh, I ended up placing an order with, I cannot believe I'm having a brain fart here. Mm. Jim uh, Johnson. Jim Johnson is his name. Uh, okay, yeah. He he made legend longbows, and then he made, he made some recurves, and then he made knives for a while. I don't think he does anything anymore. He, but uh, so I ordered a bow from him. I ordered a recurve. Uh, Shedua and Coca Bola, I think is what it was. Anyway, so I, I was so excited. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm ordered a bow. I'm, I'm gonna be a traditional bow hunter now. And I, I, so now I'm like, okay, now I got to figure out what I'm gonna do. I got X number of months to wait till I get this bow. So I got to figure out. I got to get ready because when I get it, man, I gotta, I'm, I gotta go. I gotta be ready to go. So yeah. the first thing I did, I bought. G. Fred Asbell's instinctive shooting book. Uh-huh. And I remember I read that book cover to cover. And I was I was just so excited. I could not wait to get my bow to actually try, you know, try this magic. And I, I remember when I finally I got my bow like in, I don't know, May, something like that. And uh I would take that book out in the yard with me. And I would read a page okay this is what I'm supposed to be doing i'd set the book down and i'd shoot and i'd break the book up again you know obviously <laughs> shooting a bow is not something you do while reading a book but you know i'm trying to yeah. i'll never forget the first time i hit you know because fred it was a big stickler about you, you know you shouldn't see the arrow if you're truly instinctive you're you're focused entirely on your target. You don't yeah. see the arrow in your sight picture. Blah blah blah. And I remember the first time, and and he he talks about how you should your stance. You know, hips slightly forward, bent at the at the knees just a little bit. Relax. Try to keep your shoulders straight. Blah. And I remember I hit what I was looking at, mm. and it was just like an epiphany. I was like, this is this is like magic to have, you know, at first it was just some ab abstract concept, but I actually, it actually works. And, uh, that was a, that was a pretty big deal for me. Um, is that Darren, how you still shoot today? Do you still consider yourself purely instinctive? When you no, shoot? um, I never can get away from seeing the arrow. Yeah. I still, see it in my sight picture i don't i probably don't use it as much i, I used to use it more for elevation guide than than windage you know um and that's you know that's what i guess a modification of gap shooting you know where you go okay well 
I think I'm this far, I'm this distance away from what I want to hit. So I need to hold my, my sight picture means my arrow should be this far under, you know, I, I never measured anything or anything like that. Um, but uh, I, you know, in my mind was doing the calculations back here going, okay, yeah, you're holding about right. And mm -hmm. It has worked for me. I, I'll be the yeah. first to admit I am, I am not a good shot. I'm adequate and I, I can kill game if it's close enough and I'm patient enough. But, you know, for me to just go out there and, and you know, shoot tens in a, in a ring all day long, and that ain't going to happen, you know. So I don't like breaking a lot of arrows doing Robin Hoods or anything like that. Yeah. I don't think any of us do that. No offense, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, I can't remember, do you shoot three under or split? I split. You know, I've tried. Uh, there's been several times, you know how it goes and fits and starts where all, all of a sudden one season, you just can't shoot. You just, mm -hmm. no matter what you do, it just is not working. And I had a, I was having a problem and I thought, well, you know, I know I, all, you know, all good target shooters, I know they shoot 300. So let me try that. And the two or three times that I tried to shoot, not, you know, not like where I decided to dedicate, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to shoot, I'm going to learn how to shoot 300. Yeah. It, just didn't, it didn't feel right to me. Um, I, I certainly couldn't tell my accuracy was any better. And it's one of those deals where, you know, yeah, if I'd have stuck with it, maybe, maybe things would be different, but you know, I guess I shoot, I shoot well enough split finger. Yeah. I'm, you know, I, it always tickles me when I see the uh, the posts. You don't see it so much on Trad Gang where those guys are real hunters. But if you go to those other sites like uh, Archery Talk, the the Trad Forum on Archery Talk, or or Trad Talk, where those they're they're not hunters. All they they're just shooters, and I, and I guess they shoot a lot of competition. But they just it, they just beat to death about bare shaft tuning and you know they all their arrows need to be touching every single time at 20 yards and and I'm, I'm just like i'm all about putting meat in the freezer so i i don't worry so much about this i worry about me not losing my cool when whatever i'm trying to kill is standing there in front of me and i gotta you know get my stuff together and 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 shoot make a good ethical shot that's 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 what it is that's that's what it is for me, you know. Yeah, yeah. Definitely I heard. think there's a big difference between target archery and bow hunting. Um, and some people are better at, at one versus the other, or whatever the case may be. It's interesting, three hundred thing. I always, I always tried to shoot split finger when I started because that's what you were supposed to do in, you know, instinctive traditional archery. And and I just it never worked for me. And I switched to three under and it made a world of difference except for shooting flu flus. I can't, I have, I really struggle with shooting flu flus no. three under because I don't know the, the distance it is from my eye. I can't like my sight picture is occluded or something, but. Yeah, that's a, you know, I, and over the years I've worked, you know, when I first started out, I tried to, you know, follow the, follow the book where, you know, you, you got your fingers crooked you pull back till you know what this knuckle's touching your 
cheekbone or that feathers touch your nose or this and that and the other. And I, you know, it's to me, shooting the bows just like everything else. It's just, you just have to do it until it works for you. You know, yeah. um, I've, I have found when I shoot that I shoot horrible. If I pull back to the side of my face, I have to pull to just about center. I mean, I, a lot of times, if I pull back just a little bit more, the knock would be hitting me right, right here. When I pull back to the side, I just, I, I just don't shoot well. I don't, I don't know why. I just, you know, it's something in my head, the side picture in my head. I just, it just didn't work for me. So, yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said for just finding your own system and sticking with it. There is, there's so much good information out there now as far as how to shoot and these methods, and I think it's good for a guy to research it, but. I, I'm one of those people, I get in my head too much and I go experimenting with this and that. And I shot split for 10 years and it was actually Bo Johnston. We were at, uh, actually out at, uh, Donna Rell's place during the rendezvous and we were shooting the 3d course and he'd been three under forever and it just felt awkward and clumsy. And once I tried it, I was like, Oh, and now it actually feels really weird to try split finger again. Huh. Um, so it's strange, but there is something you know, they, they kind of call it, I think what you're saying, Darren, is like instinct a gap where you're kind of seeing, and I'm kind of the same way. Once I switch to yeah. 300, I'm always aware of that arrow, but I, I, I will use that arrow if I want to play around at like 35 plus yards, just joking around. But then when I'm within that 30 yards and under, I still consider myself, you know, I'm not really, that arrow's not being used for anything. I'm just aware that it's there. So I think a guy's just got to find his own system, you know? Yeah, you know, I, I, in the past couple seasons, I shoot with both eyes open. Uh -huh. I have found that, you know, especially when you, uh, as you get older and you, and you, and your eyes, especially if you have to start messing with bifocals and trifocals and trying to shoot a bow when your glasses, you know, your vision looks great looking straight on, but if you turn your head, your glasses, you know, the way the glasses are made, you're not as clear, you know, you're, and um, I have found that shooting with both eyes open helps me, the, the picture is clear. Um, about with both eyes closed. No, I'm, I, well, I shoot just about the same as both eyes closed as both eyes open, yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My wife's over the peanut galleries over here. Helping yeah, I have another guest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, you know, things evolve over time for anybody. Um, but I, you know, I haven't changed anything drastic in, you know, quite some time. I notice too, if I start really struggling with my shot and I shoot, I'm, I don't shoot really heavily Canton, but if I start struggling with my shot, if I, if I go back to vertical and then readjust from there it seems to re almost reset or something i don't know I, but. i've had the exact same thing you know yeah. I, I i know exactly what you're talking about and that you know that while i love fred asbell's book on instinctive shooting and sometimes he was a mess of inconsistencies i thought because like he would talk about form and your form had to be you know, consistent, no matter what. But then again, then he would talk about being able to shoot under any circumstance. And I'm thinking, well, 
those two things don't make the, those are diametrically opposed. You know, if you're shooting on one knee bent over, that's not the same as standing straight up and shooting. You're you're you know everything's different about it. So yeah, uh, yeah. So, I think so, go ahead, Ryan. No, you can go ahead because I was going to switch gears a little bit, so I want to make sure we finish up that. Oh, sure. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I had a couple questions too. Yeah, the but I was just going to say I think a lot of it is just practice behind that bow. I'm the world's worst about. I just I get obsessed with just bows. I buy a bow and then I or I we build a bow or whatever, and then I've been at the rendezvous and had three different bows out, you know, and stuff. But you just uh, sticking with one bow, getting well acquainted with it, goes a long way, you know. So, but Ryan, what were you going to say? So I was going to switch and talk a little bit about, I know, Darren, earlier you said you're a fan of putting meat in the freezer. Um, <clears throat> when I think about you, and I, I see, gosh, I think I met you four or five years ago when I first went originally to the, to a UBM event. Um, and I, I don't know if it was your talk on the oscillated turkeys or what, but when I think of you, I always think of turkey hunter. Are turkeys your favorite? game to, to chase or yes um if 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 i was only allowed to hunt one animal it would be the turkey so um, what yeah what what drew you to turkeys well it, i i there's several things i like about turkey one okay so okay deer hunting is fun i love to eat deer and i love to hunt deer but deer hunting can be just plain boring i mean you guys have you know, you sit out there for hours waiting yep. for 30 seconds of magic to happen. And, you know, how many times have you seen a deer and interacted, with, you know, been focused or been engaged with that animal for more than 30 seconds? I mean, you know, rarely do you see a deer and you watch it all day and it comes in and you kill it or whatever. Usually it's like, Oh, here comes one. I can hear it. Is it? Oh, it's coming towards me. And then 30 seconds later, you either have a shot or you don't have a shot and, and it's done. Whereas turkeys, it's something all the time. I mean, you're, you, you know, you, you get up. I think the thing that draws me the most to it is the emotion. You, Every day during turkey season, I get up and I am the eternal optimist. Today is the day, man. Yeah, I'm gonna step out. I'm gonna drop my call out of my pack. It's gonna make a noise. Turkey's gonna hear it. He's gonna run to me, offer himself. <laughs> I'm killing six fifteen. I'm done. I'm in the back in the house drinking coffee, smoking cigars. It's a great day. And then what really happens is about eight thirty. I'm kind of a little bit dis disgruntled. I may have said some words I shouldn't have said about God's creatures. <laughs> 10 o'clock. I hate turkeys. I hate turkey hunting. I, hurt, I hate <laughs> everything involved in turkey hunting. Anybody takes it up, it's a fool. And uh, then I wake up the next day and it's like, now that ever happened, I'm ready to go again. And uh, I mean, it's just, you know, especially, you know, if you get them, if you get them working, and they're gobbling, and they're and you're you're calling them in and and getting to do everything that's against their nature. You know you've accomplished something, and uh, it's just I, I just love I just love turkey hunting, and I'm kind of glad sometimes that Missouri only lets you hunt till one o'clock because I've hunted in states where you hunt 
all day, yep. can't see to can't see, and you do that like four days in a row, and you are just exhausted. Dumb. You are just, I mean, it's just, you wake up and you're like, God, I, I don't want to do this again. <laughs> I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, uh, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. You've taken two oscillated birds now, right? Nope, just one. Just one. Just the one. Okay. Yeah. For some reason, I'm thinking, but you have, uh, now you've taken, is the Golds the last on your, Golds? Oh, no, that? no, no. You know, I've, I've never been, if if I never do a slam, whatever slam you want to call it, I don't care. I just, um, when I saw Leroy Brandgart do that presentation on oscillated turkeys, way back in 98, 99, whatever it was, uh, I you know I didn't know that I didn't know that bird existed, and I thought, man, that just that just you know it's an exotic locale. You're hunting turkeys. You don't call them, but it still it looks it looks pretty cool. You know, we just that'd be like something I'd want to do. And uh, you know, then life happens, and you have kids and jobs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and it, it always kind of that that hunt always kind of got put off because I wanted to go do something else or I didn't have the money or whatever and I finally said you know a buddy a month, well I'll tell you what got me um <clears throat> I met a guy named Bill Cooper you guys may have heard of him he's a he's an outdoor writer and he's got a radio show he does in Rolla every day or every week I can't remember what's called living outdoors is what's called Anyway, I met him in 2017. Um, he hooked me up with a guy named uh, Joe Hollingshed, uh, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, over near Dora, Missouri. And Joe wanted me to come over and kill a deer on his place, a buck on his place with, a, with traditional equipment, and Bill's going to film it. And they were going to do it for a whole, for a, you know, publicity thing. I'm like, well, come over and kill your deer. I don't have a problem with that at all. So, uh, I went over there and um, met Bill. Well, Bill's a big turkey, huge. And he started talking about hunting oscillated. And I was like, oh, man, yeah. Well, tell me more about this. And he starts telling me about, oh, yeah, well, I, I'm good friends with the guy that we were down there with. And, yeah, you need to give him a call. And he'll hook you up. And so that got, that was one of those deals. It's like, okay, let's time. it's time to quit talking about it. And let's do it. You know, so that's that's how I finally got around to, you know, making a uh, spending the money, signing the contract and ready to go. So, yeah, you had actually, I don't know if you remember, you text me one morning and said, Hey man, you interested in an oscillated turkey hunt? <laughs> and my wife of all things, I'm like, that's just not in my, that's not in the cards for me right now. <laughs> and uh, wife goes, well, you could go if you wanted. I'm like, Oh my goodness. She said, <laughs> enabling. But, but I thought, man, that would be awesome. I, I grew up reading articles about those things too. And I thought, man, that would be something. So, yeah, but, well, you know, they, they show you the, you know, a lot of times when you, when you hear about them, they show you the pictures of, and they'll show like a hundred birds in a field. I mean, and a lot of times, it'll, and especially before the birds break up, that's, yeah. that's it. I mean, there's, there's a ton. You're like, well, how could you not kill one? They're, they're everywhere, you know? Um, yeah, I had a hard time finding somebody going to hunt with me. Um, I asked every, every one of them, UBM buddies, you know, hey, you want to go in Osley? And they're all like, I remember uh, Dennis Voss, why would I want to spend that money to go hunt a 10-pound parakeet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All about the adventure, man. 
<clears throat> well, yeah, the guy and the guy that went with me, this is kind of interesting. Um, he's a high school. Uh, I went to high school with him. A guy named David Ferguson. Um, he's a, a renowned box call maker. Uh, hmm. Dude won NWTF. One of the, you know, box call making, I don't know, 10 years ago or something like that. Does the artwork he does is just, it's just unbelievable what he does with them. He does uh, uh, pyrography, you know, wood burning on the sides mm -hmm. of it. And, you know, you're not talking about a whole lot of real estate on a box call. You know, let's say the side's that long, it's that tall. And he's got like the, uh, uh, the grist mill at Alley Springs drawn on the side of that, burned into the side of that with all the, I mean, like the bricks and stuff. And you're going, man, wow. I don't know how you do that? But anyway, so I, uh, he and I were friends and we, in, in high school, you know, we weren't close, uh, but we're, you know, we knew each other and whatnot and played ball together and whatnot. So, uh, anyway, I, I posted something on Facebook about how I had booked this hunt. And I was going, whether anybody went with me or not, you know, I'm I'm going to kill me an oscillated turkey. And uh, David texted me, uh, immediately messaged me, says, dude, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll, I'll, let's go. I was like, all right, got me, got me somebody. So, but he, he was under the impression that we were leaving like that, you know, within three weeks. I'm like, no, it's, I, you got to book in advance. You know, this is not until mm. next uh mm year that we're going but and then he's like well now i feel like i've horned in you know horned in on your hunt or something like well i need i need somebody to go with me anyway so uh yeah I, you know i don't care let's let's do it so that was kind of cool that uh i got to do it with him you know and um <laughs> david he don't leave the holler much so uh <laughs> him you know he had to get a passport and and uh flying and and uh, going through mexico and all that was it was all it was all an eye-opening experience for him you know so it was pretty fun awesome well why don't you tell us about the hunt um <laughs> okay well i know that's a three hour story but maybe like the 15 minute version <laughs> yeah well yeah so um there's two kind of hunts you can do with oscillate birds you can either hunt them in the jungle which is not good for bow hunting or you hunt them at the edge of these huge milo fields, which is what we did. And uh, we got down there and we, uh, you fly into, these birds live in, in the, on the Yucatan Peninsula, okay? So they, they live there and they live in Guatemala. And that's the only two places on the planet they live. And I don't right. think there's even a hunting population in Guatemala. So... Anyway, so there's lots of venues in the Yucatan. Uh, there's a, a state of Campeche in Mexico, and that's 90% of where all the hunting takes place. So you fly into Merida, which is right at the... Remember where Mexico... Mexico has this huge peninsula that sticks up where, you, mm -hmm. where uh, um, some of the uh, like, short towns are at. Like you fly into Merida there, and then you drive south, Coming okay. down to the coast to uh, to hunt, so we drive and we drive there, and it was like being in a whole other country. I mean, uh, it was nothing. You're going 65 miles an hour down the highway. 
there'd be a pothole big enough to swallow a bus. You know, <laughs> they don't even slow down. They just buzz around it, plumb in the other lane, come back, and wait, you just keep going. So anyway, we get to where we're at and, and uh, we go out to hunt for the first evening and we go to this Milo field. And it's kind of interesting. I'm in this old, my my uh, guide, Jorge. Everybody's name is Jorge down there, I think that I met. Uh, Jorge is driving this old Toyota pickup, like the second or third one they ever made. And we get there and there's a guy in the back of the truck. And I never, you know, I couldn't figure, maybe he just needs a ride, I don't know. So anyway, we get there and Jorge backs the truck there's a road cut all the way around this huge Milo field. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, we had a brief interruption on our account there, but <laughs> Darren was telling us about the uh, uh, how the different ways that you hunt the oscillated birds. Yeah. So so. Uh... My guide, Jorge, drives us over to this uh, field. We pull up to the edge, and he backs the truck back into the jungle. And I find out there's there's a guy in the back of the truck. Well, his sole purpose of being there is to sit with the truck the whole time we're hunting, I guess, to keep people from stealing it. So <clears throat> anyway, so we go um, <clears throat> to hunt. And so we're walking around the, the edge of this field. The ground is just, it's just like this with turkey tracks. They're just, I mean, I've never seen a turkey highway before, but that's what we were on. So uh, I was like, well, that's uh, that's pretty cool. Um, so we walk around and, you know, I, I speak Spanish. I, I can say taco and burrito, and that's about it. And uh, he doesn't <laughs> speak very much English. So, but we're be able to, you know, we're kind of hand gesture. We're making, we're figuring things out. And uh, <clears throat> he's carrying an old double bull blind on his back, and he's got a he's got a pillowcase with a strap sewed on it that he uses as a knapsack. That he's got his machete in. I don't know what else he's got in here. Bottles of water. So he comes to a spot, and he looks at it, and he looks at me, and he's like, well, "I think we're gonna put the blind here." I'm like, "Okay." And I'm already, you know, I was concerned about, you know, I'm bow hunting. These, I know, I need to be close stick bow close well when he picked that spot we're like 10 yards off this road where all these turkey tracks I'm like yeah this guy understands he's he's good so he gets the blind set up and uh he brushes it in and then he, you know i get in and look and say well we need to you know clean this limb out of the way and blah 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 so we finally get it all set up and basically he's got the blind term where we're looking out of the one of the corner windows on one of those double wool blinds. So, you know, we got a window so big like that. Mm -hmm. And the first night, we don't uh, we don't see any turkeys, we don't hear it, but we're, and it's it's hot. You know, it's, the, it's like the 29th of February. It was a leap year. And uh, I think it was 95 degrees in Merida. That day, and it was it was in the night, and we're inside, you know, those blacked out blinds. It was god awful hot. I bet. We started. We got there about I don't know three o'clock in the afternoon. We we're gonna hunt till dark, which wasn't till seven thirty or so. Well, about four thirty, we're sitting there, and I hear 
music. Somebody's playing a guitar, <laughs> like live music, you know, and what is and I can tell it's not just somebody, it's like amplified music. And I, and it just keeps, you know, it would stop and it would start up again. Finally, I look at him and I was I said, uh, it was a Sunday, and I said, Is it is it church? And he grins and he shakes his head and he goes, No. <laughs> I was like, okay, so there's a bar out here somewhere. You know, I don't understand what the, anyway. So we're we listen to this the whole whole evening or whole the whole afternoon, we can hear this band playing. I mean, we get live music playing. And it sounds like it's, I don't know, you know, quarter mile away, half mile away, something like that. So finally it gets dark and he we're gonna come back here the next morning, hut. So uh we gather up our stuff. We get out of the blind and we walk back to the truck. Guy's still in the back of the truck sitting there. And uh, we get in the truck to go back to uh, this house we were staying at. And I figured we'd just reverse our course and go back. No, he drives. Okay, it, it's, it's dark and his headlights aren't that great. He just drives off into the middle of this Milo field. Going 100 miles an hour. I mean, we're just throwing this guy's stuff down. And I'm going, what the hell is this guy doing? <laughs> and all of a sudden, he locks it up. And he jumps out. And the other guy jumps is in, in the back of the pickup, jumps out. And they start talking about this, that, and the other. And, and they look over, and there's a there's a pond that they're pretty close to. Well, they were concerned about running through the the where the pond had made the, the water made the ground soft. He didn't know if he was going to be able to get through there or not. Well, they finally said, "Well, if they drive this far around, we'll be okay." So they get back in the truck, and again, we just tear through this guy's field, just Milo going everywhere. And finally, all of a sudden, we come to a road, and they make a left, and they got two speeds, stop and go. And when they go, they go fast. And you're, we're tearing down this dirt road. And we end up where this music is playing. And what it was, was an, a wedding. And they had built, somebody had built a platform out there, like a little stage where they had the wedding and they had generators out there and all this music and there were cars and drunk people everywhere. Well, there was a car park right in the middle of the road. So they jump out and they try to go find the person whose car, who owns this car. Well, the odds of that are slim to none. You know, it's, it's dark. They don't know anybody. Nobody knows them. So finally, they decide, well, we'll just have to make a road. So he gets his machete out and he starts hacking stuff out of the way, hacking up trees and <laughs> out of the way. We can pull his Toyota truck around. Away we go. So, uh, the next day, we get up. We're going to go back to the same spot. And um, I remember we got up that morning, and it was about, you know, it was like 60 degrees. And and uh, Jorge shows up, my my guide, and he's going, it's cold. <laughs> it's all relative, right? You know? yeah, yeah. So we drive back to the same spot and um, get in the blind. And he was... One of the things, when I was doing my research on this hunt, um, I called Danny Sturgis Jr. because I knew him and his wife uh, and uh, some friend he is, I can't remember his name now. 
Anyway, that I knew that oh, Rand, oh, it was Randy. I think it was Randy Cooley. Anyway, they went on this hunt. Not the same outfitter, but they'd done the oscillated hunt with bows. And uh, so I'm asking Denny, you know, and Denny says, well, I'll tell you one thing. This is, he goes, if you've got a hunting chair you like and you can bring it, bring it. He goes, because the chairs that they'll give you to set in are not conducive to bow hunting. He said, they're just, it'll be a, just some piece of junk fold out lawn chair that you can't turn in or it sits too low or whatever. He goes, so if you have a hunting chair, make sure you bring it. Well, I, I had one of those Chama chairs, which I don't even know if they make them now. The Chama Pursuit, I think is what the model was. Anyway, they're awesome. So I made sure and brought I brought that with me. Well, my guide was just enamored with this chair because, you know, I could swivel and make any noise. And, and he kept asking questions about it, you know. So anyway, we get there that morning. We get in the blind and get all set up. <clears throat> and... uh it's dark. Well, as it starts getting light, you know how things things are coming to life. Well, we're at the edge of this Milo field, which is just 200 acres of bird seed. Okay, well, here on this side of us is the jungle where all the birds are at. Well, they start coming out in just droves. Every kind of bird you can think of. They got a, these little green parakeets that are about this tall. Or mm. Thousands. I mean, they're just, they're everywhere. And all kinds of hummingbirds. So we're in our blind, and you can just hear all these birds just cheep, 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 cheep. And you know, and I'm trying to recognize. Well, I think it's you know that bird call sounds like this, and that, and the hummingbirds are doing their hummingbird stuff where they're clicking their bills together and fighting, and they're banging against the blind, and and it's just it was just really it was really cool. For, yeah. You know, and we're you know I keep looking out my little window there, hoping the turkey's going to come by, and the. Jorge, this is kind of cool. You, you know, those blinds, I don't know how many different windows they've got. They've got a whole bunch of windows. Well, he's got them all rigged with these little pulley systems. Mm. All intricate pulley systems all through the blind where he's got like, he's the master puppeteer. He's got all these little strings in his hand where he, and little rocks tied to him where he can pull this one and and the little the little flap on this window will raise up just so so he can see and he raises cool. back down. And one thing I learned is if you think our easterns are skittish, oscillated are on a whole other level. When we were walking that the first evening we were walking to get to the blind, I was I was coughing the pollen near and I was like time <clears throat> and he kept saying shh. And I was like, oh, okay. And he kept, when we were in the blind, he, he kept telling me, you know, make sure you're quiet. Because that's what we like my chair, because I could swivel it. it yeah. it and uh, so anyway, so we're there, listening to all the birds, waiting for some turkeys to show up. And he's looking out the windows every now and then. <clears throat> I don't know, it's about 8 o'clock. And I hear another group of birds, and they're, they're out. Um, so I'm facing this way, straight out my window. The jungle's on my left outside the blind, and on the right is the Milo field. Well, I hear some birds on the right-hand side out there making some noise, and all of a sudden he looks at me and goes, like, oh. So I'm listening, and they're putting and purring. They don't sound exactly like what our turkeys sound like, putting and purring. Mm -hmm. The cadence is the same, you know, you can tell, okay. And he's 
he's pulling he's pulling his window up or pulling the window up so he can see. And I, I still can't see. I don't. I can't see in there. All I'm just listening to them. And it sounds like they're out there forever. They're, you know. And pretty soon, all of a sudden, the, the pitch goes up and they're in their squawking. And I'm thinking, uh oh, they saw something they didn't like. You know, you, you know, you don't. Know, all of a sudden, you hear a hen that yeah, high pitch putt. Well, that's what I'm hearing. I was like, oh, you know, there it goes. It's it's over with. But all of a sudden, he goes, he goes, get get, get ready, get ready, get ready. Okay, and I, so I'm looking at, again, my little window of the world's, you know, eight inches square, and I'm mm -hmm. out, I don't see anything. Finally, here comes a bird, and there's two mm -hmm. of them, and I can see them, and he's got, he, and he keeps saying, no, 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 <laughs> and, I'm sit, and I'm, I'm sitting in my chair, and I got my, got my arrow, and I'm waiting, and they walk, they're like five yards from us, I mean, they're right in front of us. And you, you've probably seen pictures of maybe my bird or other birds on the internet. The awesome. yeah. When you see them alive, every which way they turn, they're a different color. Their whole body is progressing. Yeah. When, I'm, when I saw them right then, okay, when, when you see one dead, you, you notice the, the, aquamarine on their wings and the copper color there they are completely gold they i mean i'm looking at a bird it looks like somebody just poured liquid gold on me and that's wow. the, it was, and i'm and and he keeps saying no 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 and i'm like well what's he what he want me to wait for a better shot or you know i, I don't know and i you know i don't know maybe, they, maybe their hands I, I you know i couldn't tell mm -hmm. they're just right color for birds and those that's what i came here to kill there they are <laughs> and uh <clears throat> he goes and then i all of a sudden he says no shoot the big one and i'm looking at the two birds i'm like well we're both about the same size i, you know, I don't know <laughs> well then the big one steps into view and he's, they're like at five yards and he's at 10 yards and he's twice the size they are. Okay. So I'm thinking, oh, okay. Now, now I know what he's talking about. That's the big one. And as soon as the bird steps into view, all of a sudden he goes from no, no, no to shoot, 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 shoot. <laughs> Dude, give me a break. So the, the bird comes into view. And it turns and walks right to us where those other two birds are at. Okay, well, now he's standing five yards and he's facing us. And I'm thinking, man, there is that. I'll take that shot on a turkey any day of the year, you know. And, yeah. and and for a guy who wants me to be quiet, he's making a lot of racket going, shoot, shoot, <laughs> shoot. That, uh, that's what I was thinking. Sounds yeah, like talking yeah, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I pull my bow back and pick my spot and I shoot and I mean that bird just rolls and of course as soon as I shoot you know you know how turkeys are you know all hell erupts and uh -huh. the birds are just going in I don't know there were seven or eight of them together and they just boom they're off running and some of them are flying well my bird he did you know I hit him and he flips backwards like this and he gets up and he starts to run well, he, and then he gets enough run in him, he, he gets airborne. He's off the ground maybe, I don't know, 20 feet. And I will never forget that bird being silhouetted in the sun with my big old arrow sticking out both sides of it. I mean, you talk about a sight to see. 
that was mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I shoot those log arrows anyway. So, so, uh, they all run off into the jungle and I see him kind of, you know, he kind of does a veer like this and lands in the jungle. They're 30 yards, 35, 40 yards from us. So, all right, we're all, you know, we're all excited. Great, great, you know, and we kind of calm down. All right. Well, now we got to go find him. And, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, this, this could be, you know, we could be here all day. This could be a chore. Be tough, yeah. Yeah. Cause, <clears throat> you know, you know how it is. If you've ever had to look for a turkey that's been arrow oh. shot or even gunshot, I mean, a brown bird on brown ground, they don't show up very well. So, we gather up our stuff. I got my bow, got my, my quiver arrows, and he grabs his, his pillowcase with his shetty, and we get out, and we start walking down that road, and we get to right about where we thought the birds went in. Well, as soon as we get to that spot, all of a sudden we hear my bird up there flopping. You can hear him about, I don't know, 20 yards away. Okay, so I'm thinking, well, you're supposed to do this. Okay. We've assessed the situation. Do we want to just let, let him stay there and die? Or do we want to kind of yep. sneak up? Meanwhile, Jorge has a completely different attitude. He just takes <laughs> running like a bat out of hell. I mean, he goes right to the thing. And so, and we're we're 10 yards from the jungle. The bird's another 10 or 15 yards in. Well, as soon as you step off in the jungle, you just disappear, okay? So Jorge just, boom, he's off in there. I can't see him. All I can hear is this machete going chop, 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 chop. <laughs> so I, 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 genuinely, you know, I'm still taking my time. So, and I don't know what I'm thinking. It's like, what are you going to blood trail? You know, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm taking my time. So <laughs> I step off into the jungle and I'm, and pretty soon I don't even see, I can't see Corey. All I can do is I can hear him chopping and, uh, <laughs> well, he knows what he's doing, I guess. And I, you know, so I'm I'm kind of picking my way through, and I'm looking around, and and it couldn't have been. I know it could not have been more than five minutes. And all of a sudden, he goes, he starts hollering, "Who over here? Who?" Okay, so I start walking to him, and I can't see him. He's hollering, I can hear him. I know he's got to be right in front of me somewhere. I can't see him. Finally, I see his hand like this. You know, okay. And they walk up to him and he points. Well, it's not a, it's a a iridescent turquoise and green bird on brown ground. So <laughs> it's pretty easy to see. Mm. And and its heads up. It's laying there on the ground, but its heads up. And again, he's going, shoot, shoot, shoot. <laughs> Let's just let's just give it some time here. You know, I think I think we're good. He's not going anywhere. But he keeps saying, shoot, shoot. So, okay, well, so I, I pull him, I thought, well, well, I'll walk up closer and I'll get an arrow on the string and uh, you know, we'll see what's what. So I get an arrow on the string and I get it within 10 yards of the bird, and the bird's head just goes pop, and he's dead. You know, it's done deal. So and the whole time I'm like, how in the hell did that guy find? this bird in the jungle. I mean, he ran right to it. I heard it, you know, it was flopping. How did it... So in the back of my mind, that's kind of a mystery to me. I really want to know that story. Uh, but, you know, he's all excited. Hey, here's your bird. And uh, so I get the bird and I walk out of the jungle with it. 
and he goes back in the jungle. I'm, I don't know why. I'm just, I'm saying, so I'm taking pictures and I'm gathering up all our stuff. Well, come to find out, he's back there trying to find my arrow. Oh, wow. And he comes back and he's just heartbroken. I mean, he's genuinely sad that he cannot find my arrow. And I'm like, dude, I don't, you know, I'm trying to tell him, I don't care. It's an arrow. I make them, I got closets full of them. I don't worry about it. So uh, we take pictures, you know, and get start tearing stuff down. And oh, by the way, so. My bird, which was much larger than the ones I saw, okay, it was yeah. a typical oscillated male bird with spurs almost two inches long, and it weighed 10 pounds. That's what oh, wow. an oscillated bird weighs. If you kill one yeah. that weighs 15, that's like killing a 30-pound eastern. You know, that's, yeah. that is something. You've killed a monster. So when we're getting ready to go, and I'd already decided beforehand that – Jorge's tip, part of his tip anyway, I was going to give him my Chama chair because the guy was just enamored with it. And uh, so I remember we after he got the blind on, uh, packed up and I had the bird and, and uh, I got my chair, had my chair all piled up there in, in his bag. And, and I said, you know, I want you to I want you to have this. And he's like, you know, he looks at me, what? I said, I want you to have this chair. And the look on his face was worth everything I paid for that. That's chip. Awesome. I mean, it was just, you, I mean, yeah, it is when you, when you, you think you're doing a good thing and you see somebody so profoundly, I don't know, happy or whatever, that, that's how he was about getting that chair. So that was pretty cool. That's cool to do that. Um, yeah. And, I, I, uh, what's that? Sorry, I was going to say it reminded me of uh, Fred Eichler's famous story. He shoots the brown bear and he's yelling at his guy, don't shoot my bear, don't shoot my bear. In your case, you're sitting there going, please don't chop my bird. Don't chop my bird. <laughs> <laughs> well, so after we, after all the stuff and we get back to uh, um, where, when you book this hunt, there's a, we book with a, a place called Tall Tine Outfitters. They're out of Florida. A guy named Ted Jaycox and his wife Shoni, and they are awesome people. They are the outfitters for Snook Inn Hunting, which was the venue that I was hunting on. Okay, so when we get back to where Ted is at, and he can and he speaks English, you know, and I said, hey, can you ask Corey how you? I mean, I'm just I know. How it is in Missouri, when you shoot a bird and you have to hunt for it forever to find it. How he could run in the jungle and find that bird is just, I, it's like a miracle. How did he do that? And so he finally gets the story out of it. And basically, so when they hear the, when he heard the bird flopping, they hear the bird flopping, he just went straight to it. And when he gets to it, before he can get a hold of it, it gets up and flies off the best it could do in jungle conditions. And it goes, you know, 20 yards or whatever, crashes and burns. So he runs over again to get a hold of it. Well, it does the same thing. It gets up and flies and lands where I eventually picked it up. And when it when it did that the second time, he's like, no, nah, I'm not going to chase it again. We're going to, you know, I'll call Darren and let him chase it or yeah. shoot it or whatever. So uh, it worked. Yeah, because I, I was like, man. I don't know how you're, I, you know, when I first stepped off in that jungle, I was like, I don't know how we're going to find this. Yeah. Thing. Just don't have it. And I had brought a string tracker with me and I was going to use it. And I'd been practicing with it. 
But the way we had the blind set up and the, the cover he had right in front of the window, I knew yeah. my heart of hearts that if I shot an arrow, it was going to catch. There was no doubt in my mind I was going to catch on a piece of that stuff out there and screw yeah. everything. So I, I took it off and it all worked out for the best. Awesome. So, so what equipment did you use on that hunt, Darren? What's that? What equipment did you use oh, on that? Well, um, I had a uh, Mike Dunaway make me a, a Mariah recurve, 54-inch recurve for that hunt. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to, I wanted, I normally shoot long bows, but I, I wanted a little short recurve to shoot uh, in a blind. Yeah. So I had that, I had that bow made, and the arrows I shot, or arrows I made, there were uh, probably Forester wood shafts. Okay. I think I usually shoot mahogies if I shoot his shafts, and I used uh, um, 190 grain meat heads. So, I mean, the arrow was overkill for a turkey, you know, it's probably a 720 grain arrow. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it worked out well. So, yeah. Let me ask you, have you, have you got the chance to hunt Miriam's yet, or? Yeah, I killed a Miriam. I never, I didn't do it with the bow, but... Uh, that was another very interesting trip. We hunt, we hunted in Nebraska, uh -huh. right? I mean, right next to South Dakota. Um, <clears throat> found that there, there was a place. I'm trying to remember how I'd heard of this place. Maybe there was a write-up at TBM. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> you know, some guy has a farm and he lets people hunt on it. And he kind of caters to hunters. And we show up. Uh, the that day they are they or that week they start predicting like a serious snowstorm and we're just kind of you know in our heart of hearts going man yeah i hope it doesn't work i don't hope it doesn't happen but we know it is so we get there that friday and i mean the sky is just you can tell something's fixing to happen mm -hmm. and i'll never forget the first day that we we're gonna hunt and we opened the we we're staying in these cabins on the place and we open the door of the cabin and it is snowing so hard we can't even see the cars that are parked our cars that are parked right out in front of these these cabins it's like there's already eight inches of snow on the ground and and i know you, you know how it is it's like well we know there's nothing there's got to be nothing moving around but he paid to do this yep and uh so we're all out trudging around in this in this blizzard, basically. And uh, <clears throat> my buddy Greg Poston, he was on his hunt with us. And uh, I remember we walked down into this hill into a little field next to a, a creek. Everything there is a creek, you know, in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's snowing so hard, we have to keep dumping the snow out of our shotgun barrels, okay? If you hold the gun up, it fills up the snow immediately. Oh, I remember we, we look across the field, and we see a big old tom uh, roosted in, in a big oak tree on the edge of this creek. We're about 100 yards away. So we, we're like, well, we found a bird. Let's see, you know, maybe we can wait him out. So I remember we crawled underneath the cedar tree to get out of the snow. And we got our box calls out. We're whack, 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 meow, meow, meow. And that turkey, he has his head under his wing. And he pulls his head out. And you look around. 
he'd be like, yeah, whatever. And he'd stick his head back <laughs> under his wing. Well, this went on for about an hour. And we kept, you know, we'll just wait him out. And finally, we're like, he ain't never going to leave that tree. We're, we're going to go. Let's go do something different. And finally, it quit snowing. And actually, by the next day, it had warmed up enough where the snow had melted. We ended up, I ended up killing the Miriams. And three or four of the other guys killed them. They were pretty thick there. But uh, it was a. Uh, it was a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, this, uh, uh, one of my stories, but I, I think I've told both of you the story. <laughs> my, I was bow hunting in Nebraska and, uh, oh. we buddies that had killed birds, uh, or he'd gotten a couple shots. We pulled into a public restroom on public land and there were like, there was 10 toms strutting 20 yards from the truck. And this other strutter over here behind were the kind of outhouse thing. And I thought, this has got, crazy because along the lake is public access and i thought well, <laughs> i dug the truck i pulled out my bow i grabbed some arrows and in plain sight i walked around the side and and, <laughs> <laughs> and he walked over dead and i thought my goodness and then uh i went to go get him it was a jake <laughs> i had passed up the tom yards <laughs> <laughs> and uh it was it was a very interesting uh, i'm not i'm not trying people who love all the different turkeys but in my experience between montana and nebraska they are not near the same animal as what we hunt with not the Eastern. even close and yeah I question, you answered it for me i wondered if the oscillated if they were going to be more severe so it almost seems like southern is worse and the farther north you go the yeah the less those oscillated they're you know they're 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 wired they're they're trip wired and uh you don't make noise you don't do anything it, it makes me feel like I'm really missing out. I've actually never hunted turkeys at all. Um, I always kick myself because when I was growing up, I lived in North Missouri, somewhere close to where I live now. And uh, I remember I lived out in the country on a farm, and there's nothing to look out in the fields and see flocks of 60, 70 birds. I mean, they were everywhere. And um, never was interested. And then I moved down to Southern Missouri, and there were no birds, hardly. And uh, anyway, so something I've got to remedy soon, I think, is try to get out and, and do some legitimate turkey hunting. <laughs> well, well, based like on our pictures, it's looking like Darren might might uh, <laughs> off this year with his. Well, yeah, let me tell you a little story about that. That is, this is a. I've lived at this my house right here. I've lived here, uh, almost thirty years. There is always a wad of turkeys down there. Now, I've killed turkeys down there, but you would think by that, the numbers that you see, it's just like whatever could possibly go wrong has went wrong when I had turkeys down there. Now, you'll have to, you know, contrary to what a lot of people think, including my wife, it takes a lot of ground to successfully hunt turkeys because rarely, if ever, do you hear one and you call to it, and it runs right to you, and you shoot it. Generally, I have killed way, 90% of the birds I've killed is because I've been crawling on my belly to go to them as opposed to them coming to me. And it just, you know, well, you know how it is, Ethan. It's like, well, I hear a bird there. You go over and mess with that bird, and that doesn't work out. It's like, well, I heard another one way over here. I'll go see if he's over there. And so, so, so these birds here behind my house, I only have five and a half acres. Okay. Uh -huh. I don't have, they, they don't roost on my place. They roost around mm -hmm. it. 
and there's a huge hay field to my east and and uh, south that they do 99% of their strutting in, and I don't have permission to hunt that. So I'm like a little kid, pressed his face pressed up against the glass, you know, <laughs> looking at these birds, trying to figure out how the hell can I get them to come all that way over to my place? But every once in a while, it, it works out, just uh, not near as often as I think it ought to. And I've had, you know, the distances I have to that I shoot down here behind my house almost are always bow distances. So I used to almost exclusively, all I would do is bow hunt down. I'm like, okay, if I'm going to kill one, I'm going to bow hunt. And I cannot count the number of times that I've sat in my blind and had birds 25 yards away, mm -hmm. three gobblers at a time, double, triple gobble, and they will not sit one more foot closer to my setup. And I'm thinking, you know, I've got a perfectly good Benelli shotgun up there at the house that I could have solved this problem <laughs> with, but, uh, you know, so it goes. I mean, it's, that's part of, I guess, the allure of turkey hunting. It's just, I love it. There, it's, you're busy and you're, I mean, even not until one o'clock, you're kind of, sometimes you're kind of glad that that, that bell's ringing, you know, it's, it's done. I can rest for the, I can take the rest of the day off, you know. Yeah. Well, Dave. Brian just texted me, said we're getting ready to run out of time again. So okay. <laughs> we'll uh, remedy that before our next Zoom yeah. podcast. <laughs> and one to record on this episode, the guest is recording the podcast for us. So we're real, yeah. real professional here. Um, <laughs> well, hey, it says recording. I, yeah, I haven't seen the actual, you know, until I see the file that's actually there. We'll hope it's there. Yeah, we have to. Yeah, this might be um, but anyway, I would like for sure, uh, we'll have Darren back on the other side of his ghoul hunt, uh, at the end of May too. Um, but Darren, thanks for coming on. I have a few more questions for you. I'll, I'll save for the next one. Sure. I'll well, it's always a pleasure talking to you guys. Yeah. We appreciate it. Um, always like hearing the stories and learn a little yep. bit as we go along. Yep. So. All right. Well, uh, All right. We'll, see, we'll see you guys soon then. Mm -hmm.